1: Previously on Murder on the Space Coast. you
0: can't say it's somebody's DNA at at two low side. I mean, that's re- I can match you at two low side. I can match you at, at four low side. Who do you
2: think would hurt him?
0: I honestly, her son, his girlfriend's son. I've seen him very nasty to him and demand money from him. Demand money, mom. Get money from him.
1: I'm John Torres, and welcome back to Murder on the Space Coast, Where Justice Lies. A quick warning. This episode is laced with profanity and rough language. It is not suitable for younger listeners. We're talking about the conviction of Jeff Abramowski, a drug addict found guilty in 2006 of brutally beating an old man, his friend Dick Crandall, who was also a drug dealer. Jeff says he's innocent, and, well, you've been listening, Right. Throughout this entire process of reading through transcripts, interviewing people, and watching one video after another, there was one thing that my editor Mara Bellaby and I just could not wrap our heads around. I mean, we talk about it every day and try to find the answer. Why Jeff? Why did police focus their attention on Jeff? Why does the lead detective and the chief prosecutor to this day insist they got the right person when so much seems to point to others? Why? I mean, okay, we spelled some of that out in the first episode. Jeff knew Dick Crandall. He was a drug addict, and a trace amount of DNA that bore an unusual marker, one that Jeff has, was found under one of Dick's fingernails. So yeah, we get it. Jeff had to be considered. But there seemed to be so much more evidence and obvious motive pointing at others in this case. Namely, Judy Foley, her adult son Bruce Foley, and Judy's younger sister Rita Acreage. So again, why Jeff? What exactly happened to turn the focus of attention away from Judy, Bruce, and Rita? Homicide agents Gary Harrell and Carlos Reyes of the Brevard County Sheriff's Office drove up to Alabama shortly after Dick's body was found to interview Judy, Bruce, and Rita. And come on, if you listen to how they reacted when interviewed, think about their alibis and their explanation of why they went to Alabama in the middle of the night with no money. Well, none of it makes any sense. And it's not just that their stories change and are a puzzle from start to finish. There's a tangle of Judy's hair in Dick's hand for crying out loud. And Bruce's blood was found in the drain of the master bathroom sink. Bruce had his own bathroom, and it's not even for certain that he spent the night in that house. Why on earth would Bruce's blood be there? So what happened to focus the police on Jeff? Because just one day after interviewing Judy Ritter and Bruce in Alabama... Detective Harrell is indeed back in Brevard interviewing Jeff about his whereabouts. Jeff was suddenly the main focus of their investigation. The switch happened that fast. But why? Was it simply the fact that the Alabama trio all brought up his name to the police? Would the police really take that band of losers at their word? Jeff and others have their theories. And here's what he told me in 2016. I've sat in prison for years...
3: And wondered what, what was going on with all this, right? I have no clue what these people were doing with me. It was Bruce, Judy, and Rita who pointed the finger at me. Once they got the finger at me and they started coming after me, they brought me into the precinct and they talked to me. I gave the DNA samples. I told them everything that happened on the weekend. They never checked my alibi. They just focused on me, right?
1: Now, he's absolutely right. During cross-examination on the stand, during Jeff's second trial, Homicide agent Gary Harrell admits that he never tried to verify Jeff's alibi, that he purchased a special black-bladed Gerber knife in an Orlando mall the Saturday afternoon when police say that Dick was murdered. And police have consistently pointed to Saturday as the day Dick was killed. But as you've heard, there are discrepancies with that, including witnesses to seeing Dick who contradict each other on times, and just Dick's body, which was found on Monday with very little decomposition. And remember, this is Florida, and the temperature in that trailer was 82 degrees. Now, I've spoken to Jeff at least three times, and every time I do, he recounts the same exact story. Okay, you might argue, that doesn't prove anything. I know, but it's still worth noting. Jeff's story doesn't change. The others, like Judy, Rita, and Bruce, whom police apparently found more believable, do change their stories. A lot, as you've heard. Now, and this is important... Jeff speculates that another reason why he was charged with the crime was that he refused to do to Bruce, Judy, or Rita what they did to him, and that's implicate them.
3: If you look at my second interview tape on August 15th, right, you'll see me sitting in there talking to them, right? One thing you won't see is when they shut off the camera. They shut off the camera, and they came and Gary got in front of me and he said all we want you to do is to look up at that thing and tell us that bruce and judy were involved and you can go back i told him i said i have no clue what happened i don't know so when we left we started to leave gary picks up a picture of dick and he shows me a picture of dick sitting with his wife i said that's a nice photo i said that's that that's dick we got in the car we're driving back to the county jail i was smoking a cigarette right from the little champ remember i told you before he yeah. took me to he got me the coffee and cigarettes we're driving down the B line going back and Gary kept telling me, this is your last chance, Jeff. All what you got to do is tell us about Bruce and Judy, right? I said, look, Gary, how many last chances are you going to give me? I don't know anything about this crime. I took my cigarette, and I threw it in his coffee cup right on the council. He slams on the brakes, pulls over, and he grabs me by my arm, and he pulls me into him, and I can smell his coffee breath in my face to this day. I still smell him. And he says, Mr. Abramowski, I will do whatever it takes within my power to see you never walk this earth a free man ever again. I promise.
1: And there it is. That clip was from 2016. Now here he is telling me the same thing in 2018.
3: See, if you look at those interview tapes, right, especially the second one, and Gary's standing over the top of me, and Gary says to me, he says, look, he says, do you want to go home? And I said, yes, obviously I want to go home. Now this is the day. this is uh, August 15, 2002. And Gary says, oh, what you got to do is look up at that little light up there, where the camera's at, and tell us that Bruce and Judy did this. If you do that, you can go home." I said, first of all, Gary, I'm not a snitch. I said, I don't tell on anybody. And I said, and second of all, I don't know that they killed that man. I said, so. I said, how are you going to sit there and have me with my children walking around on the street? And I started pointing at people and trying to say that they killed somebody. And if they are killers, I said, what am I going to do with my children walking around? I said, no, I said, that's your job to solve that case. And that's when I opened my mouth and I said something I never should have said. You wanted me to be honest. I'm being honest with you. I told him, I said, and I told Gary, I said, you know what, Gary, fuck you. And I said, and fuck him too. I said, you solved that case. Because I knew I didn't do nothing, so I had nothing to worry about.
1: Now remember, I've reached out to Detective Gary Harrell to try to talk to him, because we really want to hear what he has to say. He texted me this, quote, I'm not interested in assisting in any way of casting doubt in these cases. I'm sure of their guilt. Close quote. But so far, despite repeated efforts, I've not been able to sit down with him. So you have to remember as you listen to this, This is what Jeff says happened. We haven't heard what the detective would say to this allegation made by the guy that he put away in prison for life. That needs saying. So Jeff's theory, could that be it? Was Jeff's downfall that he wouldn't implicate Bruce Judy Arita? That he wouldn't play ball? I find it a little hard to believe that could be the reason, though it could be part of the puzzle. We don't have any evidence of that, but if you'll remember, especially if you've listened to any of my earlier seasons of Murder on the Space Coast and recall names of the wrongfully convicted like William Dillon and Wilton Dedge, you know that sometimes it seemed like police went after the easy target, the loser, the person people wouldn't really miss on the outside. Expendable drug addicts like Jeff Abramowski who didn't seem to be contributing anything to society anyhow. Now, a quick break to tell you about some of the other great podcasts my colleagues are working on for the USA Today Network and a special announcement from me. When we return, a member of Dick's family speaks out about the case.
2: A dead district attorney. A dead barber. A drug-addicted judge. A businessman hiding, armed and scared. One woman, one name, binds them all. Rainella. The fabric of her life is woven with tragedy and violence, politics and pain. And even now, suspense. Come meet her on Season 1 of Suspicion, available on just about every major podcast platform.
1: Hey guys, this is John Torres from Murder on the Space Coast, hoping that you'll join me on March 6th at the Surfside Playhouse in Cocoa Beach for our end-of-season wrap-up event. The cost is $12.50 a person, which gets you some great apps and a chance to speak with and ask questions of some of the players that made Season 4 so compelling, including Jeff's daughter, Jamie. There will also be an update on Season 3's Brandy Hall case. Wine, beer, coffee, and soft drinks will be available for purchase, and a portion of the proceeds are going to the Brevard Opioid Abuse Task Force. We're not making any money on this event, so the more people who come, the more we can donate to such a great cause. What are you waiting for? Get your tickets now. Go to MurderOnTheSpaceCoast.com and click the link. They were teens, locked away for life for murder, but now they're getting a second chance. Uncertain Terms, a new podcast from T.C. Palm, explains why judges are re-sentencing youthful offenders, why families are having to relive the painful murders, why some killers are being set free. Look for it on tcpalm.com or your favorite podcast app. We're back. Now, before the break, we heard Jeff offer his theory as to why the investigation turned so quickly toward him. But now we're going to hear from some others. Would it be easier to prove Jeff did it or easier to prove three people did it? I don't know. But here's what I do know. The victim's granddaughter, Stacy Swank, said she never heard Jeff's name until he was arrested. She said agents kept telling the family that the killers were the Alabama Trio. Here I am talking to Jeff's daughter about Stacey Swank, who was about 31 years old when the murder took place. Now, you've also made friends um, on social media with the victim's granddaughter.
2: Yes, I mean,
3: she, <laughs> I don't know. That's Stacey Swank. Yes, right? years she ago. she believes in your dad. She's an amazing woman, yes. She. It's pretty p- rare, right? I mean, yeah, that was fairly unexpected because I don't remember how it happened exactly because it was years ago. Um, she somehow I found her I don't remember I think she posted something on Jeffrey Abramowski being guilty at the time so I sent her a message and I started talking to her about things and she started I think piecing together because when she first heard about her grandfather being murdered she told her family told her that a man named Bruce Foley was getting arrested for it and they knew the name they said he did it and the police are gonna arrest him and she was happy for that well then it turned around, she saw in the, the news or wherever that Jeffrey Abramowski was arrested for, and she couldn't believe it. She said, who is this guy? Because that's not who they told me.
1: Now, Stacy Swank apparently has a theory of why police switched gears as well. But before we listen to that, I wanted to make clear that she is the only member of Dick's family who believes Jeff is innocent. I reached out to the family on Facebook to ask if they wanted to take part in the podcast, but they declined saying they believed the right person is being punished for the murder. Granddaughter Terry Hatfield Dull said, and I quote, I think the issue for us is that we are at peace with the conviction. If we were to consider speaking, we would not want it to appear that we are supporting the quest for Jeffrey to be freed. We do not support that. Now back to Dick's other granddaughter, Stacey Swank, who breaks with her family on that point and believes Jeff did not do it. I spoke to her a few years ago, and we've exchanged emails and Facebook messages over the years, and she's told me that by talking to me, she upset her family very much, and they have pressured her to stop. Now, she agreed to be interviewed for this podcast, but then had to cancel several times. I don't know if we're just unlucky or if she's feeling the heat from her family. So I sent her a message and offered to just use the emails that she had sent Jamie, Jeff's daughter, years ago, and she agreed. So here are a few excerpts including her theory as to why the murder happened and why Jeff and not the Foley's were targeted. Her theory has more to do with jealousy and betrayal than Oxycontin and cash. And again, this is just a theory from Dick's granddaughter. She said that her grandmother and grandfather were married for over 50 years when they got divorced, but they then reconciled and remarried. Quote, Judy Foley, meanwhile, has been given the story that they were divorced and never told of the remarriage. Close quote. Now, Stacy said that when her cousin and aunt found out that Dick was planning on marrying Judy Foley illegally, they went and told Judy Foley that Dick was still married, and that sent her into a rage. Open quote. This angry rage is the part that leads up to her and her son confronting my grandfather about lying to her for years and planning to marry her illegally. This is her rage. Close quote. She said Judy realized that she would not inherit Dick's money or property now. And her emotional state and financial status is what led to the confrontation and ultimately murder. Again, that's just her theory. Remember, neither Judy, Rita, or Bruce were ever charged with Dick's murder. And this is not something that has ever made its way into any of the court proceedings. I haven't been able to independently confirm any of this. Although we did learn, in an earlier episode, that Judy inherited money and several trailers when Dick was killed. Now what's also interesting is that Stacy said, the detectives called her and said they told her this was a crime over drugs and money. Open quote. The detectives told me they knew who did the killing and they claimed it was Bruce and not your dad, Jeff. I never even knew Jeff existed until the trials and mistrials and couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. They told me they had ran and left the state and were extraditing him along with letting me know they found Bruce in possession of my grandfather's necklace, the car, and they had also stolen the pink slips for the mobile homes he was holding notes on for several people in the park. Until the day your dad was tried and convicted, I was told it was Bruce. Imagine my surprise when they had a new suspect and they never once mentioned your dad's name or his connection to my grandfather. They led me to believe he was one and the same person as Bruce. I didn't know that Jeff wasn't Judy's son, who I now know is Bruce." Close quote. As a reminder, Judy and Rita are both dead and Bruce is a registered sex offender in Alabama where he is serving lifetime probation. I have reached out to him and written him a letter. I also reached out to some of his other family members letting them know that I'd like to speak with him. Now I want to thank Stacy for sharing those emails with me. I know it pits her against her family uh, who believe Jeff is guilty. It's brave of her to stand out and say something different. Okay, but still, back to the question. Why focus on Jeff? Now, we know that not only did police rush to Alabama to interview Judy, Rita, and Bruce, we also know that two days after Dick's body was found, Judy Foley was arrested for breaking into Dick's trailer. Those charges eventually went away. Why? Well, did it have to do with her agreeing to wear a wire? Here is a snippet from Judy Foley wearing a wire on May 24th, only one day after getting arrested. She's trying to get Jeff to implicate himself. He doesn't. What's also interesting is that she is continuously asking him for drugs, and he says he doesn't have any. Then she offers to take him around pill shopping, just like Dick. Was she trying to trap him into a drug deal as well? The audio is not great, but a warning, the language in this clip is laced with profanities.
0: I'm just gonna get hooked up on a man, and, you know, fuck, make a little and, you Yeah, know, I can get a little free oxygen time. Get deals on. going. This dick ain't getting around. We, you know, we gotta help up something, man. I don't know what the fuck's going on. I'll tell you one thing, man. I'm amazed about fucking Dick, man. You ain't shit, man. That is. That's unbelievable. It's crazy. Who do you think done it to I don't know. He fucking hung out with drunks. He hung out with fucking idiots. You think those two guys that had a could have done it to him? Yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking. Somebody from that fucking trailer park, man. They're all crackheads. They're all they're riffraff, man. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. And, and I told him more than once. I said, Dick, I said, and, and remember that, uh, I couldn't think of the name of the street, but he always hung around with those black people, man. Not cutting down the blocks, but he hung around by that black place that's, that's next to 95 there. Yeah. And they're all fucking prostitutes and shit in there.
1: And he always...
0: He, I made them of I made them Yeah, I don't know if he was fucking dealing out of there or not. But, yeah, he was. But that motherfucker was, like, was always in there with one like that motherfucking riffraff. Right. I, think I said he cut one hell of a string. Well, I thought you might have done it, man. Mm-hmm. I did it. I did, I thought you might have done it. Well, if a guy put up a fucking struggle, if he put up a struggle, they'd have a couple of marks on him, wouldn't they? Damn right. Alright, well, do I have any marks on me? Alright. Man, Damn, I, 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 you, you those guys can turn apart? I don't know, man. The only thing I know of was in the fucking paper, man. I'm surprised they're letting out all that information. I got 20 bucks to my name, and tomorrow's my birthday, man. I'm fucking hating life, man. Fucking
1: still in shock that somebody fucking hurt Dick, man. shit, I'm Not sure if you caught that, but Judy says to Jeff that Dick put up a hell of a struggle. She also says, I thought you might have done it. Now, on the tape, she says that they, meaning the killer, took Dick's wallet and all of his Oxycontins. We know that's not true. Dick was found with cash and 90 oxys. And that's something Jeff talks about a lot when he insists on his innocence. Remember, Jeff was a drug addict, always looking for a score. Dick was left bludgeoned to death with pills in his pocket.
3: You wanna see what was found in Dick's pockets? Dick had jewelry on, okay? Expensive jewelry. Dick had money in his pockets. But the most important thing that Dick had in his pocket... Now, I'm supposed to be a drug-crazed freak on pills, right? Look at what was in Dick's pants pocket. 92.
1: Oxycontins. Wow. Oh.
3: Do you think that a man would go over there and commit a brutal crime like that and leave
1: without doing that? Come on. Right. Come on. Also, there's the question of blood. Dick was brutally beaten. There was blood, lots of it. Now, remember when Gary picked up Jeff that first time and interviewed him? Well, when he dropped him off at his home, he asked if he could look at Jeff's clothes. Jeff agreed, no problem. And what did Gary find?
2: Gary Harrell came over to
1: the
3: house I was staying at after he took me to Valerie David's, right? And, had, and asked me, where are the clothes you wore for the weekend? I said, well, they're in the hamper. He says, get them for me. So I grabbed this big hamper, and I dumped it on the floor in the living room. And I gave him, I said, there's Sundays, there's Mondays, here's Saturdays, here's Fridays. He says, you don't do laundry. I said, well, you know, I'm a bachelor. He says, where's all your shoes? I said, they're all right there in the closet. He took everything that I owned and looked at it, and in here... He says, I found nothing linking Jeff to that crime. If you look at the crime scene photos, John, there's blood everywhere. 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 How was I in there and got no blood on anything of mine? Unbelievable. And I gave them all.
1: None of it was washed, none of it was bleached. It was all the clothes that I wore for the weekend. And they found nothing. He's right. The crime scene photos are horrific. There is blood everywhere. You'd think that the murderer, especially a strung-out drug addict like Jeff Abramowski, would have some trace of blood on their clothes, anything. But no. The police never put forward anything to suggest they'd found any evidence on Jeff's clothes. So again, Mara and I, and likely many of you, are asking the same question over and over. Why did the focus turn to Jeff? We still don't get it. What do you think happened? I mean, why did they, I mean, why did this turn so fast on you?
0: Oh, why did they
3: come after me? Yeah. As soon as I walk into the inter in, interrogation room, they had me stripped down. Well, you won't see that on the camera because they they cut all that out. Yeah. They, they stripped me down and they looked for marks for any types of an altercation. They didn't find any, so they I got dressed. I sat down, and then they asked me if I wanted a soda, and I sat there and I drank my soda. And then they sat there and they started talking to me about um, where I was, I think. It's been a long time ago, but the, the exact way it went, went like that. But they asked me uh, basically where I was Friday, Saturday, Sunday, right. and
1: Monday. Now, the police seemed to get hung up on this idea that Jeff held a grudge against Dick because of that time Dick abandoned him in Orlando and he sought payback. They also asked Jeff if he would just plain lost it and got angry. But now listen to how Jeff's friend, Donald Hughes, describes Jeff after telling agents that the two men spent Sunday together buying tires at Sears, for which a receipt was produced, and going to Andretti's, a theme park in Palm Bay, and spending time in the arcade. Donald is asked by agents if Jeff is violent. He's
2: um, like a pushover kind of a... He's a panty kind of a guy, you know? Like I told you, I'd slap him. If you if mm. you know if it's back mouth my mother or me, I'll, I'll just slap him and you know not to really hurt. How him, would he react if somebody wronged him? I don't know. I, I I I'm not afraid of him. I mean, yeah. I know. mean, if somebody did something to him, I mean, uh, I don't think stole from him or didn't pay him something or left him somewhere and stranded or what. How would he react to that? I see what you're getting at uh i man that's just speculation sure and i understand no and i understand it but i don't know him hey if he pissed me off i'd let him off in the field and and, in in i'd let him off in the desert and i wouldn't give a shit what he thought about Mm you know i wouldn't be worried about him doing anything he'd know he'd he'd have to screw up to piss me off right so i mean i gotta look at it from my point of view Sure. all right so Would he do I don't think he'd do anything to me. Would he do anything to some old guy? No,
1: I don't think so. Okay. Catch that? Donald Hughes said Jeff wouldn't even fight back after getting slapped, and he would never worry about Jeff reacting violently or seeking retribution. Now, during this conversation, Donald also tells Agent Todd Goodyear of the Sheriff's Office that Judy called him earlier in the day, one day after she was questioned in Alabama, and asked where Jeff was. He thought that was odd. Now, Hughes definitely did not hold back when offering his own theory. And again, this is just his theory. But he knew these people.
2: What are you calling me for, Judy? You know, what happened? Oh, Dick's dead. And she's getting some money out of it. hmm Now, I don't know, maybe I watch too much TV? Right motive and opportunity. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what, what else is, is, yeah. is there. I don't see Jeff with no opportunity mm-hmm. or a or, 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 uh, or reason. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see, to me, you know, I don't, I'd hate to think it was him. But Anybody else you can that think of that would be up there that would have a problem with Dick? Nah. Or that might want to hurt him? Well, who, who did I tell you that would might want to hurt him besides the girls? And, 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 and the son. Did I tell you anybody else would want to hurt him? I don't think so. No. And why he ever wanted these girls and, and he had both the sisters and then and supposedly I hear that Judy is fought in the ring that he got her and now she's going to get the uh, she's going to get the will. Mm-hmm. The will is in her name. Is that right?
1: During the conversation Donald revealed that Judy and Rita tried pulling a fast one on his friend Vinny and had previously stolen from Dick. And when they stole from Dick, can you guess where they fled?
2: Okay, so she's a thief. I know she still loves Vinnie because she's admitted that to me. I mean, that's how I know it, okay. just by her own admission. So she admits being a thief, and she says she stole things from Vinny. she stole things from the old man, and this, that's just what she called him, Dick, this old man. And uh, I guess she went up to, stole his checkbook and went up to Alabama, cashed a bunch of his checks, and he bails her out of this mess by paying off all these checks for her. How long ago was that? Did this you... is about a year ago when the separation between Vinny and Judy came about. Okay, so she stole this guy's money and the sister Rita was involved. Mm. Okay, and they went up to Alabama, wrote some checks on this guy's account. On and Vinny's account or Dick's no, account? No, Dick's account. Okay, stole on... from Dick. Not okay. stole from Vinny. Okay. Although the, 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 I I think that they stole from Benny too. That's it. So that's it. And it's a family of them.
1: That's right, Alabama. Then later in the conversation, he says this:
2: They didn't get a crack at his money. They didn't get a crack at Vinny's money. Right. But they get a crack at the old man's money. Right. And now the old man shows up dead. Sure. Well, I I think that the the uh, but here's what I told you. I, right. I think those girls are guilty of, of, of putting a son up to it. Okay. I mean, that's the, that's that's what I think. That's that's it. You know, and I don't think it was. I don't think it would be Jeff. And i hate to think. I'd hate to think it was.
1: There's a reason why I'm playing so much of this Donald Hughes interview. You'll understand when you hear the next episode. We started this podcast by presenting the state's case to you. We told you why they thought Jeff was guilty. And what they had was enough to convince a jury. But as we also told you at the beginning, we know more than the jury ever heard. Now, after hearing what you've heard over the last seven episodes, has your mind changed? Is doubt casting an even larger shadow? Or are you like the police and prosecutor, convinced the right man is in prison? Next time, on Murder on the Space Coast, Where Justice Lies a case for actual innocence. And the blonde haired guy with Mr.
2: Crandall took me around the back and showed me, and he was pretty mad at Mr. Crandall for bossing him around or whatever, and he did say that Mr. Crandall pisses him off and he felt like beating him up. Okay. Um, he just told you that out of the blue? Yeah, huh? and that struck me funny, you know, because that almost made me not
1: want to buy the trailer. Okay, let me just clarify, and this, this last Saturday you guys went to breakfast it, you're, you're shaking your head, Yes. Yeah. Okay, you <laughs> won't pick it up. <laughs>
3: yeah. Um, where was it exactly that you went to breakfast? Rocket liquor. Rocket liquor. Is that the one over in Satellite uh, B? Yeah, right across the bridge. Okay, so do you remember what time you guys got there? About 10.
1: That's all for now. Remember, if you enjoy investigative journalism like this, please help support us by subscribing to Florida Today by going to MurderOnTheSpaceCoast.com. I'm news columnist John A. Torres, and you can follow me on Twitter at John Albert Torres. That's at J-O-H-N-A-L-B-E-R-T-O-R-R-E-S. And follow the podcast at 321MURDER. For more information on these cases and web exclusives, please go to MurderOnTheSpaceCoast.com. Murder on the Space Coast is written and narrated by me, John A. Torres. The producer is Rob Landers. And the editor is Mara Bellaby. Thanks for listening to Murder on the Space Coast, brought to you by Florida Today, a part of the USA Today Network.